Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Yeah. Alpha. <clears throat> yeah, that's great if you haven't been to been through the Alpha program, thank you. It's an excellent, really is an excellent um, program out, out of England. Morning, everybody. Gosh, what a great looking crew of people. Next week, we are going to go to two services, and uh, that's life. That's good. And we want to fill both services. In two weeks, Pastor Phil's going to be here, our founder. <clears throat> it's really, it's, uh, actually, it's a little bit rare for a movement Many movements are, are, have, have been around and or denominations have been around for a lot of years, and it's rare to have the founder with the original word that he, that to be able to share with us. And so I would like everybody to be here, if you can, please set, mark, mark your calendars, mark the date, and uh, Pastor Phil on uh, Sunday morning, both services, and then Sunday night as well. So that's coming up. The other thing is we're doing is internship, and... Um, <clears throat> Internship is, uh, you can make an application. It doesn't mean you're enrolled. It means you apply. <clears throat> it's going to be two mornings, sorry, two days a week for uh, beginning in October where you'll be taking Bible college uh, out of C3 college and then some other classes as well as then integrating in the life of the church. So um, we honestly feel it's so critical to get, pick up our culture and find out how we work before you become part of what we're doing and in the next number of years we'll be multiplying our locations and uh, those people who are leading in those roles will come have come through the internship program so that's really really important for us today's the last day for that if you're interested out in the foyer there's a uh, a desk and um, you can make an application and uh, that's really going to be great so anyway well I so I've been um, thank you to the, the to Tim Pastor Tim and uh, Brad for looking after the pulpit while I was away it was in good hands. <clears throat> I heard they did an outstanding job. And uh, we were in um, Smoky Okanagan. That's where we were. <laughs> and um, anyway, that was kind of, that was kind of fun. Um, I want to begin a new series. We've entitled it ID. It's about identity. And, um, and I, um, I was just thinking about the... Um, oh, next slide. <clears throat> I was just thinking about uh, this week I, was, I had read about 20 years ago today. Maybe some of you knew that 20 years ago today, Swiss Air F, flight F111 went down in Peggy's Cove, just off the coast of Nova Scotia. And it was actually today, October the 2nd, 1998. And um, the manifest, on the manifest it said there was five kilos of diamonds and jewels, that there was 50 kilos of cash, and there was a Picasso that was worth millions. It was filled with treasure. 229 people, they all died. And uh, since then, of course, most of you know that, m m well, actually, you may not, I didn't know this, that treasure hunting is illegal in Canada. And um, so there are people still looking around, they're de diving and trying to find the treasure that's still there. <clears throat> you and I, as followers of Christ, we have a treasure also that's hid in earthen vessels, which is us. Uh, understanding <clears throat> who we are in Christ is really a treasure hunting expedition, that's what it is. And I believe that when we discover that treasure, we discover our, we find not just 
the treasure, but we're able to discover and find ourselves. It says in Psalm 18 that to the faithful he shows himself faithful. I just, I was just honest, and to the pure, shows himself poor, pure, to the evil he shows himself harsh. Somehow our revelation of who we are helps us with our revelation of who God is. And when we discover who he is, we actually discover something about ourselves as well. He, so, so if you, your view is that we serve a harsh God, it must mean that there's something inside of us that's unhealed. It's one of the hardest things to try to convince God or people that God is a rewarder. He's a rewarder. That we don't work in vain, we don't labor in vain, that he's a rewarder. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, and I think it's one of the key passages of understanding who we are. And it's, a, it's the question of all mankind, and it's asked over and over again, who am I? That we have that question is fairly normal. Where you take that question, though, will determine the type of answer that you get. I love what Jesus says just before he washes the servant's feet. And, and, and this here, I believe, helps us understand the heart of servanthood. Because, because until you are secure in who you are, you're unable to serve wholeheartedly. You actually may feel like serving is part of earning something from God. So Jesus, he said this, it was time for supper and the devil had already enticed Judas uh, son of uh, Iscariot to carry out his plans. Okay, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Wow, that's a pretty thing, good thing to know. And then Jesus passed that on to us. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, <clears throat> that he had come from God, and he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel he had around him. Knowing, knowing what authority he had, it's probably predicated by understanding who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. Our history is our, our significant clues to our destiny. As Winston Churchill said, the farther back you look, the farther ahead you can look. I think it is important to look back, but, but if you're not careful, your future can be held hostage to your past. When Jesus said that truth will liberate you, he didn't say what was true would liberate you. And here's why, is because truth, truth, something that's true, unless it's applied, it's actually a toxic truth. For you to gather what is true and not integrate it into your life is actually dangerous for us because what is true needs to become a truth for us. And what is a truth, what is applied for us, liberates us. So understanding who we are, where we came from, I think is really important. I'm told that every three minutes there is an identity theft takes place in North America. That's pretty frequent. So we're told by cyber police that we're to memorize our passwords. Good night. I can hardly remember my middle name. And now, uh, and then, and then under, remember what case is that? Was that lower? Because often passwords are case sensitive. And um, understanding your passwords <clears throat> and memorizing them is what it says. What clutter. 
I memorized the ones from like four or five years ago. The current ones are the hard ones uh, for me to understand. Um, so I think that so when, when, when someone steals your identity, it's when someone steals your name and accesses your information. Um, <clears throat> I personally think that our identity is held in our heart. Your heart is part soul and part spirit. And that's why your heart needs guarding, because it carries within it the true you. My title of this message today is Fake ID. Next week I will talk about True ID. Um, when I was growing up um, in Saskatchewan, I, um, 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 I, had a, I, I had an appetite for alcohol, but I was underage. The result was we made fake IDs. And you could do pretty good because the guys at the liquor board store were, um, they, 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 they weren't able to see that well, and so you could smudge stuff out. And, and um, I actually thank people and they ask me for ID now. Uh, I didn't used to. Um, <clears throat> I personally think that, that each one of us carries fake ID in our wallets. And we should be able to answer the enemy when he, when he asks you this question, who do you think you are? You need to have an answer for that right now. You can't pause, you can't hesitate. <laughs> you can't say, let me think about that. What was that sermon on identity about? You have to be able to respond very quickly because I personally believe that every major battle that you ever fight in life is over your identity. And what happens when we face battles, we come face to face, and may I say, probably we, we, get, we get to look into the mirror when you look and, and you reflect back, it looks back on who you are. Who, who you are when you show up in a battle, who gets revealed, is really, really important. I don't think the Lord sends us in any battle that he doesn't believe we're going to win. So, so I want you to consider that every major battle that we ever fight in our life is over identity. And it brings us face to face with who with one of our two identities, either our fake ID or our true ID. So with that hypothesis in mind, I want to, um, I want to just um, maybe make a comment about our culture that's obsessed with the outer person. And, and identity, to me, is something that we sort of, we wear it like a garment. Uh, I would really personally like, whenever anybody meets me, that they get a revelation of the same God that Jesus represented while he was on earth. When people meet you, they get to see something of what your God is like. When they interact with us, they get a little taste of the things that are, you carry in your heart. I want when people have spent time to me to have had the same impact as when somebody met Jesus because I have the treasure of Jesus in this earthen vessel. We have an obsession. Well, let's just change the outside. And you can get uh, injections and implants and gosh, I met somebody, I mean, you know, you can pierce it and you can, you can all this stuff with the outer person. Um, how can I say this nicely? Um, maybe I can't. <laughs> maybe I should just stop. 
but I kind of want to make a comment about it without heating up my emails. Um, um, I, I don't know very much about um, uh, gender. Um, just wait. No, I know a little bit about that. Um, I want to. I want to say. I want to say something like th that. I want to say something like this: that every battle we fight is over our identity. I think maybe I'll just leave it at that. And you can change the outside, but the deal about being a follower of Christ is changing what's on the inside. And you'll find that many people change the outside but forget that the real you is on the inside. Everybody lives forever. You're, everybody lives forever. Your body is not going to make it forever. You realize that. But everybody lives forever. And, um, and so our culture's obsession with, with obsession with changing the outside. And I think I mostly have, I have curiosity about that. And um, uh, apparently I'm the same age or would be the same age as Michael Jackson, but so many things on the outside he tried to change, but it didn't change who he was. And our DNA comes from our family. The who you are comes from your family. It depends which family that you get your DNA from. I'm gonna talk about two families very briefly this morning. So in Matthew chapter 16, uh, I'm talking about now the recovery of the treasure. <clears throat> when Simon was asked by Jesus, who do people say that I am? He was not facing an identity crisis. He knew exactly who he was. When he was saying, who do people say that I am? Why? Because who you say he is is a reflection of who you are. And once we have a revelation of who he is, we'll get a revelation about who we really are because you can't find and settle your identity issues outside of knowing Christ. But when he, was, when he said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and he said, great, well, you're no longer Simon, you're now Peter. So he was able to discover his hidden identity when he came face to face with his confession with the living Christ. It's the same with us. I love, at the beginning of this passage, it actually says he was in Caesarea Philippi. At Caesarea Philippi, it's right at the base of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was where the, the angels, sons of uh, God, and the daughters of man mixed and created, of course, the Nephilim, and you know that long story, which I will not touch today. But, he, he, and so, but at, at, that, at the foot of that mountain was a place known as, it was actually a portal to the underworld. It was called the Gates of Hell. And he said, after this point, he said, that flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You can't be told what Christ is like. You have to experience what Christ is like and respond in a moment of faith that I'll give you opportunity to do in a few moments. And he said the very gates of hell or the underworld or any of the, these other places of authority will no longer have any access to your life because I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. Um, our revelation really of ourselves is rooted in our revelation of Christ. Point number two, our true identity and our new identity. I'm told that as he is, so am I in this world. How is he? In, in, um, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, but anybody who turns to the Lord, there's a veil that's taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. And all of us have now had this veil removed. Did you know there's no longer a veil? A veil doesn't hide what's behind it, it just distorts what's behind it. 
And all of us have had this veil removed so that we can be mirrors now that brightly reflect the glory of God. And as the Spirit of the Lord works in you, and we agree and we participate in that, we always have a choice in our changing. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. What a, what a wonderful promise that we can reflect His glory more and more. In, in Luke chapter 4, one of his six mission statements of Jesus, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, and then he explains six things. What's very, very vital in you understanding your identification and who you are in Christ is understanding what you've been anointed for. And every one of you have been anointed. He, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for a reason. And not, it's not a plaything. His giftings and graces and anointings and mantles and... Therefore, our stewardship. What is the Spirit of the Lord upon you for? This is a clue to the problem that you're called to solve on the earth. Jesus was the ultimate problem solver. What, it, what is he for? You're, God has anointed you for something. Where you are anointed is where you will find your victory. It's where you'll find your favor. It's where you'll find your provision. It's where you'll find your permission in Christ. When I know what I've been anointed for and what I've been given a grace for, I begin to move forward in that and I'll find all the things that God has provided for me. Uh, not until I move in it, though. Your, your favor and your anointing is meant to be explored and to step into. We can do many more things than we think are possible. I need to get a clear vision of what I'm anointed for. Divine enablement is to fulfill my heavenly calling and His ability will be best seen in my responses to his call. Here's what will happen when he calls you and asks you to do something that you will feel unable to do. Here's what will happen. It will surface all of your excuses. I got a lisp. Since I've got a lisp, then I can't speak. Moses, he, he came, you, you mean I'm going to be a deliverer? Well, I can't, I stutter. Uh-huh. But you're going to find out I'm the one that heals stutters. So when he invites you to do something, it's to reveal your identity. David was a king. He was meant to function like a king. And so he stepped into his anointing and liberated Israel. And then he became king. But he was acting like a king before he was king. The king was meant to go face the giant. So we find what we're equipped for and what's impossible. And what happens is that when God asks us to do something, we whip out our fake ID. Yeah, but I've got a limp. Yeah, but, yeah, but Lord, you don't know. I like, if you ever, I find it interesting when, if, you, if anybody ever tried to educate the Lord on stuff. <laughs> yeah, but Lord, but, but, but you know, and then we give him the long essay on why we can't do what he's asked us to do. Here's his invitation, is to deal with all of the negatives that come up when he gives you that invitation. I want you to make a donation of $100,000, and, and you say to him, like, he doesn't know, but Lord, have you seen my bank account? He knows exactly what your bank account is at. The question is, do you know what he's like? Is he really the God of the impossible? We sing it like we believe it. So we need to act. Our, our behaviors need to line up with our beliefs. Otherwise, they're, we're just, it's just a theory. So we get confronted with our, with, with our invitation to step into our true calling. And he says, actually, in 1 Timothy, it says it's a holy calling. Sorry, 2 Timothy. I just love this passage here. I was reading it this week. It's, it is God who saved us and chose us or called us to live a holy life, but 
He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. Did you know that he had a plan for you before the world began? Your calling is to fulfill that calling. And unless we're walking in that calling, and we'll say, oh God, and we'll give him all of the reasons why we can't do it. His invitation to you is meant to service every one of your excuses why you can't do something and then submit that to the Lord and said, but Lord, if you've asked me to go, I will. It's not here I am, send Aaron. <laughs> it's here I am, send me. This is a huge thing because you will not discover your true identity until you begin to step out in faith. I believe we live way below our potential and our invitation. I think we have two relationships with God because we have two identities. We have, a, we have an earthly one and we have a heavenly one. How you're seen in the heavens is different than how you see yourself on earth. Did you know that? How you're seen on earth is how God relates to you consistently. And he asks you to do things that you feel are outside of your ability, but he knows that are well within your ability because he's made you. And he's established something in the spiritual world, in heavenly places, that he wants you now to work out on the earth. That's what he wants to do. Your word, O oh Lord, is forever settled in heaven. That's not good enough. It needs to get settled on the earth. We settle it on the earth when we begin to believe him and trust him. Finding Jesus is really simple. Trusting him is really hard. Trust me. So, so this other identity is, is really how he sees us and how he relates to us. I'm amazed how, what a high opinion that Jesus has of me. I'm amazed at that. And often can, I'm not sure if I can specifically hear it because what he has for me and how he sees me is so much better than I see myself. It actually feels a little bit uncomfortable that he's so happy with me. It might feel the same to you when he asks you to do something because we have to actually begin walking in our new identity and it'll feel a little bit fake at first. And you'll feel a little bit frightened at first. And you'll feel a little bit um, um, like you're just, you, you gotta fake it till you make it sort of thing. But you're not actually going out on a limb. You're actually stepping into who you are. <laughs> um, what, the, the, one, the one identity is a general one. The other one's very specific. One's my true identity. The other's a temporary identity. One identity, your earthly identity, is very limited filled with insecurity and negativity and fear. But your godly or your true identity is full of confidence, boldness, braveness, and conviction. I love that Jesus was both human and divine, but in the tru truest sense, you and I are as well. You know, there's some divinity within you as well. You know that. That's your treasure that you carry around in an earthen vessel. The treasure is his divinity, in, in identity. It's our true identity where our permission is, where our provision is, where our authority is. Um, these two identities, they fight like two badgers in a bag. I don't, Paul, Paul said that there was these two kingdoms, this darkness and, this li and light at work is always fighting within him. It's the same within you and I. Two weeks ago, I, I, I preached about the most influential person in your life. I'm now going to share with you the second most influential person in your life. Are you ready? Here's the second most influential person in your life. The one who believes in you. Because we're attracted to affirmation. You know you are. Don't be afraid to send me an email that said, awesome message, Lauren. 
Did you know that you have the ability to make someone else feel significant? What a huge trust we've been given. What hap- here's what happens. What gets affirmed or what gets applauded gets repeated. So it's not the person that you believe in. It's the, most, it's the person who believes in you. Did you know that you can't walk with someone who actually doesn't understand your true identity? Because they'll try pulling you back to, the, to earth. Until they can see your true identity, the true, the true genius in you, that treasure that's in you, until they can see that. And actually, that's what prophecy is. It's reminding us of who we are. Prophetic words often, they're too good to be true. Well, that's the point. They're to remind us of how we're created. In Ephesians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we no longer recognize people after the flesh. Well, if that isn't a lie. Now, I know it's the Bible, but do we no longer, does anybody here recognize people after the flesh rather than after the spirit? Dang near all of us, I'm willing to bet. Why? Because we, what you see is what you get. But there's so much more to a person than that. We need to have heaven's eyes to see what else is coded in to this person so we can affirm the person that they're to become. Have you known this? This is a huge principle in marriage and in human behavior. Um, what is that principle? <laughs> is that we treat people not as they are, but as they, what they can be. This is a huge thing. Don't treat your spouse like they are. Otherwise, they'll stay as they are. When you treat them how they can be, they'll become like they could be. I know it's good. I love that. I need to do that more. No, I'm serious. This is really important. Point number two, and uh, very quickly, dual citizenship. Our DNA comes from our family. This is all seen throughout Scripture. Um, It's how the Lord sees us all the time. Do we have a picture of the Adams family up there by any chance? I asked. Do we have the Adams family? Did you know that you are... Part of the, if, if you're under 40, you'll have to Google that. <laughs> they were one messed up group of people. This is the Adams family. I always thought when I, I never watched it, we, in my era, we actually had the Munsters. <laughs> but the Adams family, did you know that you're part of the Adams family? You can choose if it's the first or the second Adam, though. By one man, sin came into the world, by one man, the world was redeemed. Which, which Adams family are you part of? Because if you're part of the dysfunctional one, that's how you're going to act. But if you're part of the redeemed one, that's how we're meant to act. It's a big deal. We're part of Adam, the Adams family. Your DNA comes from your family. And at the fall, Satan's high crime against humanity was identity. They lost their sense of self-worth. When Jesus came, when, when the Lord came to him and says, where are you? He wasn't asking for coordinates and a, of geography. He knew precisely where he was. He, he wanted him to acknowledge where he was so he could lead him into a place of freedom and wholeness. God came looking for Adam. He comes looking for us Adams. He still does. Who, the one of the four questions, who said that you were naked? Here's what I want to know. Who are the authoritative voices in your life? Who says that you're naked? Who says that you're a loser? Who says that you're stupid? It's not God. Who says that you're not enough? What magazine are you reading that reminds you of what you're not? Who who has a voice in your life that says that you'll never make it? It's not God. Who have you been listening to? Who says that you're not pretty enough? 
Who says that you're not strong enough? Who says that you're not capable enough? It's not God's. He says you are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Who has the authority to speak those sorts of lies over your life? That's what I want to know. Because culture has all kinds of memories and images to remind you that you're not enough. And God gives us his word to remind us that we are more than enough. <laughs> We're bombarded. Where do, how do we recover our identity? It's easy. You, you, identi- you find your identity in the word of God. Last point, Second Samuel, and here's four keys to identity. Your self-image is your image of self. What's the mirror now that you look into? Because we're meant to look into the word of God as our mirror to say who we are. Part of the matrix by which we see the world, by which we see others, by which we see God, and by which we see ourselves. One of them, of course, is our, our self-image. In others, our self-worth. Others, our identity, because it becomes a grid or a, a, a matrix that we see the rest of the world, we see the rest of people through. Like I said from Psalm 18, says that to the faithful, he shows himself faithful. David asked the question, he brings this question before the Lord in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, the 18th verse, King David went in, sat before the Lord and he prayed, and he said this, who am I, O sovereign Lord? There, there's step number one. Where do you take your question for who you are? He took it to the right place. He brought it before the Lord. With, with listening ears, he went in and prayed, and he sat before the Lord. My suggestion to you is you sit before the Lord, and you ask him, who am I? Because he specifically made you, and he, he very specifically equipped you, and he very specifically gifted you. It would be very easy for him. He, he sit, he, he's, this is the king of Israel, arguably the most powerful man in Israel. And he wonders, God, who am I? Don't you know who you are? You're in a palace. You've got a crown. <laughs> what do you mean? You, you're still dealing with identity issues? Uh-huh. Watch, this will come up through the week for all of you. You'll see this. You'll be able to see it in culture. Who am I? You see, if he would have taken that question to his dad, his dad would have said, you're the runt of the family. I think that we, when you bring questions like that to your father, that your father actually should already know what your redeemed idea is. Every mother and father is given the destiny of their children by faith. You actually know what your kids, and, and we're to train them up in the way that they should go. How, how can we do that if we don't know the way that they should go? When you ask the Lord, you sit before the Lord, say, Lord, which way should they go? And anything that deviates from that is stepping down from their calling. If he would have said to his dad, he would have said to his dad, Dad, who am I? He said, Well, you're the run to the litter. If he would have took that question to his brothers, what kind of an answer would he have got? <laughs> he said, Ah, oh, you're just a shepherd. You're sure not a warrior, and you're definitely not the king. What if we would have taken that question to Saul? Would have been not bad. But Saul easily could have said, Ah, oh, you're that harp player guy. He, was be- he served the king, right, as a harp- harpist and then as a, um, and then as a armor bearer. He, oh, you're the one that carries my sword and shield. That's who you are. If he would have taken his question, who am I, to Goliath, Goliath would have said, ah, you're bird feed. Because that's what he said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. But he didn't. He took it to the sovereign Lord who created him and made him and fashioned and formed him in a very specific way for a very specific person. This is... Um, this is what I would call moment management for me. It was in, it was in um, September of 1970. 
uh, because our identity gets shaped in moments. There will be probably, where I, I think we're told four to seven moments in your life where your identity gets shaped and formed. Kelly and I laugh about this a little. I told her yesterday about this particular incident because it was a moment in my life. I think it was grade seven. It was autumn, just like now, and I was supposed to be doing fall work at home in the field. But they were doing, having trials for football, so I said, oh, God, that's me. <clears throat> now, I, I don't particularly, I'm not really, really a sports guy. But, um, but anyway, it was, it was beautiful. Mom was at work. Dad was in the field. And uh, if he would have known I stayed after school rather than coming right home, he would have been a bit upset. But that's what I did. It was a warm autumn breeze. Uh, sun was my backdrop for this moment. My moment in the sun. And the quarterback was Farley Simpson. And they said, uh, run out for a, and we're going to throw you the football. And so, you know, what I did, I ran. And wouldn't you know it, like I just, I went like this and caught it right over my shoulder like that. It was like an all-star moment, <laughs> if they would have had slow motion. That, that mo and and, and that, from that point on, they said, well, you would make an excellent tight end. So since then, I've, 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 I've said that about myself, that I'm a tight end. <laughs> the, I've always, listen, I've always felt like I was an exceptional football player. Now, here's the irony. I've never played the game since then. And this is really true. I feel like I'm one of the best. And in fact, when people say, can you play football? I said, I'm a tight end. <laughs> I went home. Dad was upset. We should have been, because it's September, you should be in, in the harvest field. But, but here's what I find. The older I get, the better that I was. <laughs> well, what happens, here's what happens, is we, we replay these memories, these moments, and they shape us. There'll be a few moments that you were shaped by your true call and identity, and I'm willing to bet that there was a whole bunch of moments that shaped you according to your fake ID rather than your true ID. They need to be reversed, and in a moment I'll pray for people that they need their ID reversed. Number two, um, David said then, he said, uh, who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what's my family that you've brought me this far? And now everything, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty. Number two, your design will be discovered in relationship to your designer. There's no other way. I love Matthew 6 and verse 6 where it says, what's in secret will be at rewarded openly. What, what's going on in the, in the places of your heart, those things that you're reviewing in your heart, <clears throat> bring them to the Lord. I don't, mean, I don't mean once, I mean over and over and over again until they get resolved. Your design will be discovered <clears throat> in relationship to the designer. Number three, <clears throat> excuse me, when you step into true identity, it ripples through generations. And he says that this is, uh, that you, you give me a lasting dynasty. Uh, do, you, uh, do you deal with everybody like this, oh Lord? And then he says, what, what more can I say that you know what I'm really like? Don't you, don't, I love that. I love that the Lord sees what I'm really like and he says, I love you anyway. He see, and David says, you, you know what I'm really like, eh? I mean, the Psalms actually is all of that. It's like naked poetry. He's saying, ah, these enemies, and ah, here's how I feel about myself. Uh, point number four is the future is friendly. Um, faith is always, a, faith functions on promises. Um, uh, I think it's important for us to ponder a positive future and not, and not allow the regrets of the past to steal our future. I know some stuff's happened, but I'm just here to say that the better days are still ahead. Like, great days are still ahead. I, I'm not sure the battle you're facing right now, but I'm here to say the future's friendly. 
I can say, you know, I'm sorry about the past, and I can say get over and get on with it. I could, I could say that. But in your heart, you have to really believe. Hope is the positive expectation of something positive happening, and fear is the negative expectation that something bad is going to happen. You can either have a life of faith or a life of fear, depend on which family you're getting your DNA from. Um, hope is always future tense. Most of you know that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm not sure if you all know about the verse before that, that it reminds us that we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ as this way and as though he were merely a human, how differently I think about him now. And what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is gone and a new life has come. And all this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task now of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He is no longer counting people's sins against them. Can you make that personal? He's no longer counting your faults, your failures against you. Because you are now a new creature in Christ. And he says the work that he's given you and I to do is remind people that everything between man and God is okay. And he gives us now that ministry to remind people not of that, not that God is upset and he's mad and he thinks you're less than, but to remind them that God is okay with you just the way you are. And you now have a new identity. Everyone who is in Christ has a new identity. And we now, as the body of Christ, get to remind the world of that. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, my hunch is that this morning, many of us in here, myself included,